So this evening, I would like to talk about uh, freedom of the heart and the mind, and that's meta. So if you want to be free, <laughs> you're in the right place. I would like to explore meta with you in this aspect. What is meta? The myths and facts of meta. How to develop meta and how to remove the obstacles that we experience uh, when we practice meta, like attachment and anger. Meta belongs uh, to a group of mental states called Brahma Viharas. In the Pali language, it means, in English, divine abodes, abiding, or best behavior. Other divine abodes are compassion, appreciative joy, equanimity. I'm not going to talk all about that. But I'm just going to talk about meta. Actually, meta is in all those uh, other divine abodes. Compassion is another form of meta, geared to somebody who is suffering. Appreciative joy is another form of meta, uh, geared, some, geared to somebody who is successful. And equanimity is having a balanced mind when everything is seem not going in the way that you really like. Meta is an abstract, uh, ab abstract noun from a Pali word mitta or uh, maitri, a mitra uh, in Sanskrit. It means basically friend. And also it means son, as I said yesterday. Do you know what the sun do? What does it do? It shines. So that's why people, th they say they are radiating matter. So it's just like rays, you know. And also the sun really uh, reaches everybody, whether you're tall, short. Uh, it doesn't matter the country. It doesn't care about the borders. <laughs> so it, it just reaches everyone. Meta is a mental state that seeks for the welfare and happiness of other beings. This includes human beings and non-human beings. This is very, very important because I know people who say, I love you and I love you. And then when it comes to seeing insects, <laughs> mosquitoes. <laughs> They slap mosquitoes like slapping an elephant with all their energy because they don't consider them maybe as a being. I used to ask my friend in Uganda, can you really make an insect if I give you 100 years? What about 200 years? What about 1,000 years? Can you really make an insect? No, it, you cannot. Even the smallest insect, you really cannot uh, make it. <laughs> so why do you deprive life of you know, of uh, non-human non beings. Uh, last year I was in my kuti at Bavana Society in West Virginia. We are in woods, by the way. <laughs> so I had a day off, and uh, sometime in the evening I went for a nature walk. And uh, as I was sitting, a, a bear came. Black bear. I've never seen a bear. I've seen many animals in Africa. I've never seen a black bear. But at first I thought it's a dog because every time <laughs> dogs come from that side. <laughs> so I thought, wow, what a, bit, a big dog. And it came very close. I, I'm telling you, I showed a lot of metaphor for it. <laughs> you know what I did? I just ran as fast as my legs <laughs> That's my meta. <laughs> but, 
but halfway between my kuti and the bear, I remembered. You know, you remember mindfulness? Sati is to remember. Oh, I remembered. Oh, I should send some phrases of meta. But when I remembered, <laughs> it had turned it, it, it has turned it it had turned it turned its course. So what I did, I don't know whether it was naive, I started walking, following it, sending <laughs> loving kindness. <laughs> May you be well, happy and peaceful. <laughs> it kept on <laughs> I don't know about bears here. I don't know how, whether they're dangerous or not. Later on, when I asked, they say, you wouldn't have done that, actually. But actually, it, I think it must have felt meta because I had spent time meditating the whole day in my kuti. And the, I mean, we are very close. I, actually, if it wanted to attack me, it would because I was far from my kuti. But it was just very close like that. Anyways, that's sending meta to loving kindness, but next time you, want, you may want to start with a dog, maybe, <laughs> or your cat, not bear, or a mountain lion. <laughs> I mean, following it, you can send it meta, but not the way I did. I kept on following it, <laughs> sending meta. So, but anyway, you know that uh, we have to include all beings. It doesn't mean to jeopardize your uh, life and then uh, stick your... St- Mouth in a tiger. <laughs> okay, this is my meta. <laughs> hey, how are you? <laughs> no, you can stay distance at least. So, uh, according to ancient commentaries uh, in Buddhism, meta is uh, defined as uh, uh, in four ways actually, in terms of its uh, characteristics as uh, promoting welfare for all beings. And that's what it does, actually. Uh, when somebody has meta, uh, there's always uh, that promotion of uh, uh, welfare for all beings. And also, its function is to prefer welfare and loving kindness and happiness. That's what it does. When you have loving kindness, uh, you, refer, you prefer people to be well, happy, and peaceful. You remember yesterday, in the uh, teaching I gave yesterday, it appears to you who is practicing it as a thought of non-anger or non-hatred. And the way it arises, basically it's near cause. It's uh, seeing lovability of beings. Basically it means seeing the bright side of beings. So if we just uh, really focus only on a dark side, negative side, then it is very difficult to cultivate loving kindness. So that's a little bit of a meaning of metta. So I continue to prefer the word metta because it communicates, it communicates directly to me. Uh, loving kindness and loving friendliness, it's like a compound word. It's very difficult to say for me. But I will continue to use them interchangeably, whatever comes. I can say metta, loving kindness. Uh, myths and facts about metta. This is according to my understanding. So if you have some other understanding of metta, so I'm just going to bring out some of the facts and some of the prior misunderstanding. So we'll see. Metta is mere love. That's a common Uh, saying, oh, it's just love. Love for someone or something like food, that word has been used uh, for centuries. I love food, I love this, I love this. So it's, I think it's diluted, uh, a little bit uh, diluted because to me meta is beyond love actually. This usage of the word meta to say that it is love, it's, uh, I think, common to people who have this kind of syndrome. Same, same. I call them same, same freaks. Everything, they reduce it to same, same, same. I remember when I was in Thailand, they, have a, they always say, same, 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 but different. <laughs> so it's always interesting to find out what's different. What's different? Okay, if it's the same, that's fine. But let us find some difference. 
to me, the fact is that meta is beyond ordinary love. Here we can uh, safely differentiate between different forms of love according to the ancient commentaries. That is the most common one. You know that. I don't have to say that. Uh, that's uh, uh, lustful, lustful love or simply love. That's love between uh, people who are sexually attracted to each other and that's very common. We have also the second kind of love. It's a parental love. That's also common. Love between uh, parents and children. And uh, in all this kind of love, maybe meta can arise, but maybe from time to time, but not all the time, because it's tinted by some attachment, by some expectation. Then we have what we call really pure or universal uh, love, or what we call meta. So uh, this is uh, actually called boundless, limitless. It's apamanya, that's a Pali word for meta. Apamanya means limitless. That means the number of beings, the objects of meta, have no limit. You know, parental love, it's limited to your family, you know. In Africa, we have extended family. So, I mean, still it has a limit, you know. <laughs> your uncle, our cousin, you know, it's, we all live together sometimes. So, But still it has a limit. Lustful love may be limited to one. If it's polygamy, then it's more. So it's still limited. But this kind of love is <coughs> limitless. Can you imagine beings in the whole world? Already the minimum amount, I think, is human beings, which are six billion. <laughs> what about the one underwater, above, in the universe? So it's a lot. So there is no limit. To me, metta is the foundation of all Buddhist teaching. For example, metta is the support and the basis for development of Right understanding, you've, you've just heard today about what, what is right understanding. Suffering, its cause, ultimate freedom, and the way uh, to ultimate freedom or liberation. So metta is the basis and support. That makes a huge difference between what kind of love you know and this kind of love which is called metta. So you can check, kind of reality check. Do you love, let's say, your food as a basis and support for attaining enlightenment? What about your friend? Do you love your friend as a support and a basis for attaining enlightenment? If you do, you're already <laughs> somewhere there, very higher up there. Imagine having a relationship and you have meta as a support and a basis for understanding, for mindfulness, for all this. So actually the key word uh, that makes meta unique, even compassion, is that it's supporting and it's a basis for uh, cultivating or developing other kinds of teachings like compassion, mindfulness, right understanding, right uh, um, thought, right uh, speech, right action, right effort, right livelihood, right mindfulness, right concentration. All those teaching, they, are, they can be practiced very well as, um, with metta as a support and a basis. So it's very deep stuff, actually. It's very profound. It's not just merely thoughts. And, oh, may you be very happy and peaceful, just sending thoughts here and there. Uh, rampantly, so it's really very deep. I can give you an example. Why do you want to be mindful, actually? Yesterday you had a talk about mindfulness. Why, why do you want to be mindful? Why do you want to make mindfulness as a, a, a practice in your life? 
You want to be happy, don't you? You don't want to suffer. <laughs> so you can see uh, that uh, metta and mindfulness go together. You need mindfulness to remember the bright side of beings. You need mindfulness. And also you need metta to practice mindfulness. So both practice go together. Actually, as, as far as mindfulness is concerned, it spills over all teachings of the Buddha. Whether you're practicing compassion, whether you're practicing forgiveness, whether you're any kind of teaching, mindfulness can go there. It's not limited. Another misunderstanding, a little bit of a myth. Metta is unconditioned. Ah, that's very common. Friends, I think most people use this term unconditioned in a loose way or in a relative sense. And if they don't acknowledge that they're using it as a, in a relative sense, so we are going to have uh, difficulties with, uh, in, in terms of understanding what metta is. Whenever I read it, uh, it's people saying it's unconditioned. For me, I know that they are using it in, in a relative sense. i give you an example. People say, oh, the sun is setting. Is it true? Is it a fact? Does the, does the sun set? Does the sun rise? I mean, in, in actual reality, does it? But we continue to use these terms. Eh? Oh, I'm going to say sunset. I'm going to say sunrise. Oh, this is half moon. This is new moon. It's just a tool of communication. Using this relative truth or reality, uh, it's just for purposes of communication. To make communication easy. So when it comes to metta, if you say it's unconditioned, actually in Buddhism there's only one thing which is unconditioned, and that's the ultimate goal, which is in Nibbana. Final freedom, final liberation, release of the mind and heart is called Nibbana. That's the goal of a human beings probably, if you want to be free. <laughs> if you want to be free, that should be your goal. Not a little bit of calmness and happiness you receive from meditation. That's the signpost telling you that, okay, you're on your way. You are, you are hitting highway to New York, wherever it is, <laughs> your destination. So uh, really, uh, there's only one thing which is unconditioned, is Nibbana. So metal, uh, the fact is that it's conditioned. I'm going to mention three areas where metta is conditioned. One, it's mentioned the sutta, metta sutta. The Buddha said that before you practice this metta, you must be contented, not attached to families, easy to support, not arrogant, not proud, gentle, soft, Easy to speak to, on and on. <laughs> so, not greedy. <laughs> so many things, actually. There are around 15 of them. So, all those are conditions which are conducive to the practice of metta. Because there are conditions that are not conducive to practice metta. This kind of attitude, you scratch my back, I scratch your back. Oh, uh, I want you to be in a certain way, you know, as we set some expectations when we are in some kind of a relationship. So, these actually, these conditions that are most common in other types of love are not conducive to the practice of metta. But there, there are conditions that are conducive for the success of practicing metta. And these are the one you have to practice 
before you uh, start cultivating meta. Of course, you don't have to perfect all of them. <laughs> and then you start meta. No, so it just go hand in hand. That's one. That's from the original teaching of the Buddha. Second, they have, this one is in commentary. In the commentaries, commentators, they say that uh, you shouldn't, if you want really to succeed in practicing meta, don't send it to the most loved one. Don't begin with the most loved one because you'll be attached. And don't begin with the enemy because you'll be angry. Then meta won't proceed smoothly. So that's during the practice, basically. And of course, not to practice meta to the dead person because there's a, another practice for that. And already is dead anyway, but this doesn't mean you don't care. But there is another practice to send, uh, uh, to practice for somebody who has uh, died, basically. Upgrading existence, that's what we call it. Like you keep on upgrading. <laughs> like a window visitor. <laughs> like that, so. Another condition. It's very important. This is, again, in the original teaching of the Buddha. It's very important. The mental state itself belongs to mental formations, which are all conditions. Mental formations, that's mental states, are all conditioned. Here I'm just going to read from uh, Majima Nikaya. That's uh, Sutta 52, number 52. Friends, I want to read this so that you really get clear, so that you can use meta as a support and a basis, so that you can move on with your practice, knowing the importance of practicing meta. Otherwise, we are just going to say, oh, that meta is all, I don't need to practice any other teaching. But if you use it as a basis, that's fine, and then you can gain enlightenment. All right, again. A bhikkhu, that means somebody who practices for um, liberation, can be a monk or not a monk, or a nun or not a nun. A bhikkhu abides pervading one quarter with a mind imbued with loving kindness. Likewise, the second quarter. Likewise, the third. Likewise, the fourth. So above, below, and around, and everywhere. And to all, as to himself or herself, he abides pervading the all-encompassing world with a mind imbued with loving kindness, abundant, exalted, immeasurable, without hostility, and without ill will. He considers this and understands it as thus. This deliverance of mind through loving kindness, is not conditioned, please mark that, is, sorry, is conditioned and volitionally produced, is impermanent, subject to cessation. Standing upon that, that means support, using it as a support and basis. He attains the destruction of taints. But if he does not attain the destruction, destruction of, of the taints, without ever returning to the world, though it goes on like that. So actually the, the word here to mark is that it's conditioned and volitionally produced by what? By thoughts. Because you create it in your thoughts. So thoughts are conditioned. So I think this is uh, the support for this, that, okay, the thought of loving kindness is impermanent. That's one condition. It's uh, subject to change, and uh, it's unsatisfactory, and it's, it's uh, non-self, it's selfless. It's impersonal. This is what it means. It's impersonal. So friends, once you use that as a basis, you can switch meta to even practicing wisdom, all other teaching. Uh, so I hope that's uh, a, a good message for us that uh, matters conditioned in those three areas. 
meta is impra impractical. That's another myth. Some people say, oh, you just send thoughts. Are they going to reach those people whom you are saying meta? Friends, friends, the fact is that meta is practical. We start with thoughts, of course, to cultivate it, but really uh, there are three areas where we can practice meta. One is physical meta. There's a physical meta. Right, uh, right there you are practicing meta physically, not simply sending words. Anything you do, any action you take, eh, when it's not motivated by greed, hatred, and delusion, and fear, it's the action of meta. They say you give something, you offer me food, that's meta, that's an action, it's not thinking. <laughs> it's anything you do, any action, eh, give, uh, giving some, something water, any action, so long as it's not most motivated by the four ways of going wrong. That's being motivated by greed, hatred, delusion, and fear. Anything you are doing in terms of action, it's practical and it's meta. That's meta in action. Have you heard about compassion in action? This is meta in action. The practicing of uh, five precepts, of course, you took. You already having a lot of meta since you took the five precepts, non-harming, preserving life. All those are, are about meta. There's also verbal meta, speaking. We spend our life, most of it actually, speaking. Mm -hmm. So when we speak with meta, we, we tend to speak the truth. We, st we tend to speak gently. We, we, we speak in a harmonious way. And also, uh, we speak, of course, meaningful words, not blah, 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 you know. Also, we, we, we speak timely. We speak in time. Then there's meta on a mental level. That's where probably most of the people spend their time when they're cultivating meta. And they think it's the only meta that you are sending. Oh, may you be where up and peaceful. May I be where up and peaceful. Oh, it's boring. It's not reaching those people. It's not working. Meta works, my friend. It's practical. As practical as it can be. Okay, according to uh, the path of purification, uh, which is a, a commentary book, uh, they gave the way how to practice meta. So now, how the question is, how do we practice meta? At least mentally. You know how to do it practically, but on a mental level. The easiest way, as we did yesterday, is to divide beings into five categories. One self, a friend and a neutral person, and a friendly person, and then all beings. And then once you have done that, you uh, choose a few phrases that resonate with you. They say, uh, may I be well, may I be happy, may I be safe, may I be secure. So basically, you choose phrases that you are going to remember, not something that you are t struggling to remember. And four is about the right number, but usually I use three. So, if, like, like maybe you speak another language, I think it's very important that you, speak, you repeat these phrases in your language. So, you can do it maybe in 20 ways, like that. So, that means five times, five categories uh, that you're using, and then four phrases you are using, that's four times four, five, that's 20. So, that's 20 ways of practicing meta. May you be safe, or may I be safe? May I be happy, may I be healthy? May I live at ease? So you do that, starting with yourself, then to uh, your friend and, and the neutral person like that. Until you reach the whole, all beings. Actually, 
whenever you practice metta, make sure that you include all beings. It's very important. So like, if you, let's say you don't have much time, you just say, may I be well, happy and peaceful? You may not go into uh, all other categories, but you just say, may all beings be well, happy and peaceful. That will include all other kinds of beings. Your friendly people and neutral people, and friendly person, all that. How to overcome obstacles to meta? One major obstacle, there are many, but at least these are major ones, attachment and anger. So attachment might arise when you send meta to friendly person or dear ones. So the best way then is, as you are sending loving kindness, may, may my friend or benefactor be well, happy and peaceful, and the attachment arise. So it's better to actually temporarily uh, su suspend that uh, flow of matter uh, because it's not yet there anyway to start with. Then you send loving kindness to all beings, and then you can come back to your dear ones. That's the best way to to overcome attachment if if or when it arises when you're sending meta. So all beings, including every being in this entire universe, and then you come back to the dear ones. Because if you have love for all dears or dear ones, you are not going to have attachment. So when you come back to the dear ones, you you, you have lost uh, losing the grip of attachment. Also, it's important to send uh, metta with loving kindness, I mean with the mindfulness, so that you can notice easily when attachment is arising. You can notice it easily. Another obstacle to metta, the flow of metta, is anger and aversion. This happens when you are sending loving kindness to a difficult person or enemy. It might arise. So then the practice of forgiveness is very, very important. You forgive somebody who made you angry. Somebody, I mean, some, some people might wa be wondering, how can I practice forgiveness for somebody who has hurt me so much? When you practice forgiveness, it doesn't mean that you are condoning the actions. It means that you are really uh, sending loving kindness to yourself. You are, gay, you are actually reclaiming your power. It's not something like you do and you become powerless. Actually, you become strong. According to Buddha's teaching, uh, he said that one who forgives is wise. So actually, forgiveness is a sign of wisdom. Good news. This is a good news. Do you know the good news? Is that when you forgive, you are the one who is off the hook first. It's the same actually with anger. It's, that's how it works. When you're angry, you're the one who, uh, let's say, and you want to uh, return anger to somebody else. So you are the one who actually uh, suffer first. The Buddha talked about throwing uh, filth or amber to somebody. Who, like Before even the amber reaches that person, you're already burnt. So you know we are the one who actually get hurt first. That's uh, anger. But the flip side of that is forgiveness. When we give forgiveness, we are the one off the hook first before even the people receive our forgiveness. So why don't we do it for ourselves? It might be hard practice, but that's it. That's the truth. Yeah, if you want to get rid of anger, it helps. Practice metta with mindfulness also it helps to not aversion or anger whenever it arises. Another technique is like when you are sending loving kindness to, one, uh, to oneself and then you move on, as I've told you, to the enemy and all, to all beings. So if you want to overcome anger, 
skip the enemy or the unfriendly person and send loving kindness to all beings, all of them, including anaconda, snakes, and birds, and deers, and, and the black bears. <laughs> and then later on, once you are full of loving kindness, you just say to heck with you. You just send loving kindness to the enemy, and it really works. At least it works for me. <laughs> so you try it. Don't really get stuck that you have to send loving kindness to the enemy first before you go to all beings. You just do it the other way around and see how it works. One time I was here in 99. Uh, it was a three-month retreat. I had a lot of difficulties. You people, you talk about difficulties, <laughs> pain and wandering mind and all that. And, and you know you guys, you have around uh, five days. I had three months ahead of me. <laughs> I said, wow, is this pain going to be three-month pain <laughs> in a block like this? I mean, I came from all the way far away from Uganda. <laughs> it's not like in New York. <laughs> you can sneak around and go. <laughs> Yeah, people do it at Bhavana. You say, where's this yogi? You don't see them. <laughs> Me, from the airport, Boston airport, straight away to the cushion here, and I had spent almost one year traveling in South America. I had this racing mind, and some people here were walking slowly. I said, wow, how am I going to reduce my speed <laughs> to that slow walking? Imagine it was a lot of suffering, even just to reduce the speed. Because I had spent a year of traveling, one year traveling in South America. So uh, I had a lot of difficulties, but uh, of course, I dodged them, pain, and sit on a chair, then come back, sit on a cushion, my head near, uh, just in the middle. I think I was the tallest. When I looked around all people sitting, I was really, really high. I had bunched out almost three cushions. <laughs> To overcome the pain so that three months will end peacefully. Of course, it didn't happen. So, one thing I remember is uh, as the, it was very hard, I, I, I went in the woods. I started walking in the woods, and I saw birds there. And uh, I don't know whether it's still uh, done here, but they had... Uh, See seeds that you can feed birds here. So then I, uh, I, throw, I took them and throw them around. So it was very interesting that also the birds get angry. They had anger <laughs> between each other because there was these big ones and small ones. So the big one didn't want the small one to eat. And the small one were there miserable. So I decided sending loving kindness to them. So may you be free. I was sending loving kindness so that they met the big one should be free from anger and jealous and all that. So after the big one took all the seeds, the small one then came and took. So I said, wow, it works. So that was my practice. And then when I come to meditation, a lot of pain. I said, okay, at least uh, I, I, I was on high on my meta there. <laughs> Whenever I came, I was really filled with a lot of matter. So then it starts snowing. So I, I cannot throw seeds on the ground. So I decided to put them in my hands. I did like this. And then, of course, they had fear to come to eat from my hands. But they came. And then they, they were tickling my hands. And I felt a lot of joy than sitting on a cushion here. And he only bumped like this, <laughs> bounced from the ground because it was such an amazing experience. But still, I could see uh, some fear. They, they hesitated. So I would stand there and say, oh, may you be free from suffering. May you not fear me. And they may come here and take seeds from. And then they, later on, they, they decided. They made up their mind and started coming. Then uh, down three months, of course, it snowed so much that... I had to put on gloves to go out. I said, how am I going to put seeds on the gloves? Then I put gloves, and then I stood there, and then they came. When I had seeds on the gloves, they still came. 
I don't know how they noticed it because the seeds were black and I'm black also. So, but anyway, they managed to see the seeds. <laughs> Sad they are. So. And you be well up and peaceful. Then myself, I started the kind of uh, uh, getting so cold because that was uh, my first harsh winter. And uh, then people here were, were full of loving kindness. They gave me down jacket. Then I put on this down jacket. I've never put on a down jacket. It was just like this. And uh, I, I looked like an astronaut <laughs> walking. <laughs> and I went in the woods. But I wanted to continue my practice of metta. Now this was a challenge. Because I don't want to even stick my hand out. <laughs> because it was cold. Then I say, okay, I'm going to put seeds around because the down jacket had a topi and then seeds here and over here. There I am in the middle of woods. <laughs> May you be well up and peaceful. And it was a, a, a purple down jacket so they could see the, bird, the seeds. So they came like this and took the seeds and ran away. I, I, I was like there like an airport actually. They were just learning and going, <laughs> learning and going. Say, <laughs> so, wow, it's amazing. So actually, loving kindness really works, actually. It works. It worked for me, and uh, I really uh, I had a lot of benefits in this practice uh, of metta, even to birds. So it doesn't have to be a human being. You know that. There is another way of uh, overcoming anger. Because uh, me, I sent loving kindness. I, was, I had a version, actually. Uh, in my sitting, it was a lot of pain, actually. Actually, it, I think it wasn't that much pain, but the projection that I'm going to have pain for three months, that made more painful. <laughs> that I don't know. I, actually, I don't have any relative in the United States up to now. So there's nowhere to go in case pain really kills me. <laughs> if it's a lot, I have to be here. So I think it was the projection, but I had aversion. So it kind of reduced my aversion to pain. And when I came back to, to practice meditation, I was really filled and was buoyant and very light. So of course, the meta I sent to the birds, uh, it must have reached it, them because they they, they, they overcame their aversion to each other. So I could see them eating together. <laughs> so anyway, there's another way of overcoming anger. The Buddha gave uh, five ways of overcoming anger when it arises. Actually, anger is as important as metta, <laughs> really, because if you, you, are, you have anger, when it appears, metta just goes out of the window. When metta comes, Anger goes out. So it's really very important to know as much as possible how to deal with anger. So here are the five ways. Uh, here the Buddha talks about uh, uh, if somebody gets angry. With, he gave five scenarios, five situations. Uh, let's say consider a person. Uh, he's very good. Physical behaviors are very good. Right? Uh, let us start actually with the first one. Physical behaviors are not good or unskillful. Actually, good and bad, those are terms are relative. So I want to use the word skillful or unskillful. Even I told you in a question and answer session today about positive and negative, those words are so heavy, uh, kind of baggage, you have a baggage. Negative, what do you mean? Attachment, is it negative? No, no, no. Actually, the word is skillful or unskillful. Skillful? It leads to your happiness, the happiness of others, and the happiness of both. Unskillful, it leads to suffering of yourself, others, and both. So that's the way how uh, the Buddha uh, gave a kind of a line, drew a line. You find this in Buddhist psychology. So uh, good and bad is some kind of judgment. Of course, we, con we continue to use them, but they are relative. The word is skillful, unskillful. Okay, consider somebody... Uh, physical actions are unskillful. But their verbal, ac uh, verbal activities are skillful. Right? Or let us say uh, they are blameworthy, they, they, they physical activities. 
they are blameworthy. And then they have blameless uh, verbal behavior. You can give an example. Uh, let's say somebody, a good example is uh, somebody at home doesn't take trash. Eh? Doesn't take trash. But when it comes to talking, oh, honey, love, come here. So they talk, their talk is very sweet. But their actions, uh, they always uh, known to the things to your expectation anyway. According to uh, this teaching, we are always advised to look at the lovable parts. Lovable parts and ignore. We really have to ignore the unskillful behavior. Right? Unskillful behavior. So in this case, we ignore uh, uh, the, the physical behavior, which is unskillful. And then we focus on the verbal behavior, which brings you happiness and their happiness. So we focus on that. The Buddha compared that to uh, a person uh, who goes to pick up a rug, dirty rug, and picks up the rug and kicks it and wash it and use it as a doormat. Or even as robes. Actually, uh, in olden days, robes for monks they were very difficult to come by. So they had to pick rugs here and there and then stick them together, stitch them together, and then got, got a piece of rope. So that means even when somebody's physical behaviors are not uh, uh, good, they're, not, uh, they're unskillful, so we have to extend our loving kindness. Right? That will help to uh, anger to subside. That's one incidence. Second incidence is the opposite. Uh, the opposite of that is their physical behaviors are very good. Right? Their verbal behaviors are not good. But as I said, skillful and unskillful. Physical behavior are skillful. Verbal behavior unskillful. Uh, for example, somebody might be offering a cup of tea yeah, in your bed, breakfast, bring breakfast. Yeah. Darling, have some breakfast. Very good, very good be behavior physically. But their speech, ah, oh, not so good and <laughs> skillful. They're always uh, swearing, every the other word is swearing, and uh, all the this kind of uh, speech which is not good, like telling a lie, something like that. So at this moment, uh, we are advised to uh, focus only on the positive side, looking at the bright side of the story. So we look at their physical activities and then ignore their v uh, verbal activities. Here, in a retreat setting, it will be like somebody's physical behavior might be very good, uh, walking slowly, slowly. But later on, you meet them in a corner, breaking silence, whispering, oh, yes, yes, Ah, then you get furious. I get a lot of notes because also my, part of my job is retreat coordination. Somebody's talking. You know, that can disrupt a lot of people. So... We have to be very careful not to, be get, to get angry. So we have to practice loving kindness. So at that moment, we have to ignore uh, the verbal behavior and focus on their physical behavior because when they come to the meditation cushion, they look like angels. They are souls. <laughs> like babies. <laughs> and they walk like uh, zombies. <laughs> And they are role model, actually, because for me, it's a yogi, actually, who helped me to slow down because she was a, ring, a bell ringer, but this yogi, it was amazing. Like, it, she was crowing. And I said, wow, every time I saw her, I reduced my, um, I reduced my, my speed. So it's very important you send loving kindness. So the Buddha compared to this one as, a, like, when you go, in a pool of water and find the, uh, some kind of plants, water plants, then you remove them slowly and then you drink water. Yes. And then you quench your thirst. So when you find somebody, and you have to just 
find something good about them. You know, the thing is when we, we're really angry and we get angry at something or some other people, we just see only one spot. We don't focus on their uh, uh, verbal behavior or physical behavior like this. In fact, they might do 100 good things, physically and verbally, but when we get angry, we blow it out. Really, it has happened to me. I don't know about you. <laughs> blow it out of proportion. And then later on, you, you regret because you remember the good thing they have done. So another example is another scenario, the third scenario. Physical and verbal behavior, unskillful. But sometimes they get clarity of mind. Eh? Sometimes you talk to them, wow, the mind is very clear. This is compared to, like, I don't know if you know this, but uh, a cow footprint. Uh, there's water sometimes go there, and if you are looking for water and you don't find it, so you're thirsty. So you have to drink that water. So the best way to drink that water is not to bring a cup and drink because you're going to stop the stuff. So you have to go on all your four and then sip water with your mouth so that you don't disturb other stuff. So if you find somebody made you angry and you find out their verbal and physical behavior and unskillful and brainworthy, but at least they have a clear mind, uh, try to focus at least on their clarity of mind. Yeah. It's not like walking on eggshells. On, no, no, this is really getting connected, really, to what good things people have. Ah, we, we come to the fourth one. Oh, physical behavior and unskillful, verbal and mental, all of them. Everything you can find wrong goes wrong <laughs> in that person. <laughs> They are the ones who walk very fast, stamping the ground. They, walk, they talk during the retreat. <laughs> and also the, you find them, they are confused and all that. So <laughs> They didn't listen to even all these instructions they gave us. So we start reacting in, during the meditation. So and it could happen on a cushion here. So now, what are we going to do with that person? In this uh, simile the Buddha gave is to consider that person like a, 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 a sick person who has been traveling in the desert. And then you find that person, no water, nothing. And then you see him or her. So you treat them or that person as a sick person. What do you do to sick a sick person? Tell me what you do. Do you kick them around? No, you, are, you practice compassion. And that's another form of metta, actually. Compassion is another form of metta, but geared to a person who is suffering. So if you find that it doesn't work in the, either at home or and you really get angry with somebody, it doesn't work at all, switch the gears from metta to compassion. You know that somebody, to be in that state, to make you angry, and you, uh, their physical, verbal behavior, and mental behaviors are unskillful, they are suffering. Not that in, they are going to a mental hospital. No, no. It's just that they have something. Either they, they are sick or something's going wrong. They didn't sleep enough. And all. So there's a bunch of reasons why people really uh, behave the way they behave. So it's up to you to really treat them. Doctors are like that. They don't send sick people away. They treat them. So it's very, very important. The last one. Good. Everything. 100%, but you get angry with them. <laughs> yes, anger can come also with, with somebody who has noble qualities. Yeah, it's a monastery, it's also probably common also. You really get angry with the abbot. <laughs> the, their physical behavior are very good, and uh, verbal behavior good, and uh, uh, mental behavior good, but it's all about ourselves, actually. They are... These qualities might be very noble and very skillful, but we ourselves, because it's a mental state, we might not be in a good mental state, and we get angry with somebody with noble qualities. So the best way to appease anger is to consider that 
noble qualities. Oh, this person is good in this and good in this. And then you send appreciative joy. Joy, having joy in good qualities in others. Friends, that's uh, about how to deal with anger. And uh, there's, there's a lot to talk about this topic because it's boundless, limitless. So I can spend limitless time here talking about this matter. But before uh, I really end this talk, I'd like to talk about some of the benefits. One of them, you sleep peacefully. The Buddha gave some benefits. You remember yesterday I told you, you, pee, you sleep peacefully. So throw away all your sleeping pills and try it. It works. You wake up peacefully. So you are fresh to begin the day. Uh, I told you also the third uh, benefit, dream uh, you get uh, good dreams, and those are, I call them Dhamma dreams, which are sweet. So something connected to meditating here, when everything's going well, no hindrances, and oh wow, you are kind of levitating, and then when you wake up, wow, you're actually asleep. So uh, sometimes we have very good Dhamma dreams. Something connected to our life, basically, that gives us some clue about life. So you are friendly to, or you dear to human beings, definitely when you practice metta, you are friendly to human beings. Uh, one is dear to non-human beings. You remember those birds and the bear, black bear? I'm sure they, they, we developed some kind of metta. <laughs> so they are friendly. Ah, no fire, no poison, or weapon harms them. Ah, that needs a little bit of explanation. People take this thing literally. Actually, this is a figurative, figurative speech. This is also a myth. People think that when you practice metta, no fire is going to burn you, no weapons. But actually here the Buddha meant is the fire of greed, hatred, and illusion. The weapon of, of greed, hatred, and illusion. The weapon of, uh, of this, uh, I mean the poison of greed, hatred, and illusion will not affect you. So don't stay or uh, practice metta. Hey, here I am. Can shoot, <laughs> not that way. <laughs> One can uh, quickly gain concentration. Yes, you gain concentration when you practice uh, uh, loving kindness. Uh, actually, because metta brings happiness, you get concentrated. Some people think that you have to get concentration first and be happy, but actually, it's the other way around. So do anything that will make you happy and concentration will come naturally as a cause and condition. Because some people hit the wall, oh, I'm not concentrated, I'm not concentrated. No, you're not happy. So be happy. Like when I fed the, these birds, I came here, meditation was good uh, because I was really focused. So meta has a benefit of getting concentrated. The expression of the face becomes serene and tranquil. So you see it at the end of the retreat when you look at each other's face, it will be shining like morning sunshine. So it will be just brimming with sunshine, which is metta itself. Uh, another one, uh, if one dies, uh, he dies without, uh, he or she or he dies without confusion. It's as if he's gone to sleep and it has happened before. People and they just pass away peacefully. So you can start now. If one fails to penetrate further, that means if one doesn't attain enlightenment for some reason because of Dhamma Raga, which is attachment to the Dhamma itself. By the way, even attachment to the Dhamma itself <laughs> it can lead you downwards. <laughs> so we should... Uh, not get attached. That means we should uh, practice Dharma as a vehicle, a vehicle to gain enlightenment. The, the Buddha talks about the raft. The purpose of a raft is not to carry on the head, is to cross the river. So the purpose of the Dharma is actually to cross the river, of the river of suffering or the ocean of suffering, not to be hugged and all that, but really uh, to, uh, to cross the river of suffering or ocean of suffering. So, if you don't actually attain to the final level of freedom and happiness, 
you go to the Brahma world. I don't know if you believe in this, but that it exists. You go there like one somebody who wakes up. You are there when you practice metta. The beauty of being in this world is that you don't have gender issues. It's all same sex. That's what I had. <laughs> so with all those benefits, I think it's very important to practice metta. So when we develop metta, we come to understand metta and suffering. When we understanding suffering, we come to abandon the cause of suffering, which is attachment and anger, as we said. When we abandon the cause of suffering, which is uh, anger and attachment, we come to experience freedom of the heart, peace and happiness. This is the goal of uh, our practice. I invite you to that goal, to attain peace and happiness. Thank you very much for listening. Let us sit for a moment or two. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.